Good afternoon and thank you everyone for joining us here today for WAM Strategic Value Interim Result Webinar. Uh, this is your company and, and look, there's a lot of people that have uh, called into this webinar and please ask us all the difficult questions, a any question you want, because what you'll tend to find is um, other people will want to ask that question, you know, in terms of how complex or how how uncomplex it is. Uh, I'm Jeff Wilson and I'll be um, you know, giving you part of the webinar today. We're also joined with uh, Jesse Hamilton. He's our Chief Financial Officer and helps us with WAM Strategic and one of our investment specialists, Marty McCarthy, you know, does a lot of work on the, on the, um, the numbers and, um, and you know, helps you with the, you know, the dealing for, with WAM Strategic. And, and we're going to give you a little bit of an update and look at you know, the last six months and just talk a little bit about the positions we've got at the moment and, uh, again, going forward. In terms of uh, after we do that, and Jesse and Marty will talk about some of the positions that have created value for us all over the last six months as shareholders, uh, and then Bridget uh, Philander, she'll, you know, is one of our senior um, executives in the corporate affairs area, and she will be opening up for questions and answers. So please, on the webinar, any questions you have, you know, please send them through. In terms of just looking at the period, you know, we are looking at the you know, interim result, and that's the period to you know, the six months to December last year. Um, it was pleasing that we'd built up the profit reserve a little more, and 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 the directors had confidence in increasing the dividend from. Now, what it had been previously, you know, the one cent level, you know, to one and a half cent fully franked. Now, also, you know, January was a good period at, and um, for the portfolio. And for those that follow uh, the our monthly NTAs, would be aware that the profit reserve increased a little bit in January. You know, so the profit reserve is a little over seven cents. Um, so, in terms of the company's ability to keep paying. Uh, dividends at that rate, and if not, grow them, then you've got to look at the profit reserve uh, and, and also the amount of franking um, that the company has. And then you tend to find the company makes its profit, and because that's the movement in the portfolio, either realised and unrealised, you know, it leads to the profit reserve. Um, and then when those um, profits are realised, then you know, we pay the, the tax uh, and the franking comes in or the franking comes in from other other companies that we've invested in you know, paying fully frank dividends. In terms of the um, WAM strategic value investment portfolio, the investment portfolio, it was really a um, you know, a, a reasonable you know performance over the last six months. You know, we didn't shoot the lights out. We are holding quite a bit of cash. Um, you know, we're incredibly well positioned. We think. Uh, as opportunities present themselves, um, and some have, um, uh, but we're we're sort of keeping our powder dry. So um, you know, so when we believe there's a more short-term catalyst that we can buy a dollar of assets cheaply, you know, say for eighty cents or less, and you know, make that um, you know, make that twenty-five percent, you know, which is the 80, 80, uh, 80 cents to a dollar. You know, then, then we'll take those opportunities. Otherwise, you know, we've got a good diversified portfolio um, and 
you know, will sit in cash. Just, um, you know, what I'll do now is I'll pass over to uh, Marty uh, initially and, you know, as I said earlier, Marty and Jess, you will both take you through. Um, we, we're probably looking at the, the, the various positions that created, you know, the most value um, for shareholders over the last six months. Uh, and Jesse and Marty will take you through them. Obviously, our, our and a position that did create value over the last six months um, was Wham Global. That's a you know, a large position in the portfolio. Our plan would be uh, to roll over out of that at, at a point in time. Now we ended up with Wham Global when uh, Templeton was taken over. Now we had a choice to either take cash or take shares. Now the, the cash we were getting six percent less than the value of the shares. Uh, in hindsight, it might have been, you know, because the market has been, you know, it's been a tough market, might, might have been, you know, it was probably the right thing. Well, it would, it would have been a, a better strategy to have taken the cash. Um, we, we have the shares. Wham Global is still trading at, at quite a, a sizable discount to NTA. Um, it's an, announced its result recently. You know, it's got a, a very solid, um, you know, fully frank dividend that they're paying. Now, we're of the view that it'll... Um, you know, the Wham Global, the discount will narrow um, over the over the next period, and then our plan will be you know, to roll out of uh, Wham Global and just focus on other you know, discount asset plays, um, and uh, yeah, then and some of them that Jesse and Marty will you know talk about now. Now, Marty, what, do we? Um, why don't I pass over to you and you can you can lead off? Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. And the first one that I wanted to talk about this afternoon was Ellerston Asia. Um, look, Ellerston Asia is a, a company that we've held almost or, or since inception, and we acquired that as part of the IPO process. Um, look, looking at the last six months, you know, Ellerston probably disappointed through the first three months of the quarter um, from an NTA and share price perspective at their AGM. The director has announced, and they've fallen on from commentary at last year's AGM, the director has announced that they, there was a clear pathway for investors to exit the vehicle at or close to NTA under a merger with another Ellerston vehicle to, to create a dual-listed structure. And that provided the market with some certainty going forward on, on that discount dissipating, being able to redeem your investment. And what we saw there was a total shareholder return over the six-month period of 15.2%. The discount over that period narrowed from 17% to 8%. We continued to, to buy through the quarter as opportunities presented on um, short-term short -term selling in the name and that discount widening at periods. And we did a lot of work in the back half of last year and earlier this year in relation to the indicative timeline in relation to that transaction. You know, the Ellerston board, when they came out of the AGM, said it was likely to complete in the second half of calendar year 2020. We felt that that was a, a very aggressive timeline and there was a lot of fat in that timeline. And going by transactions they'd completed previously, you know, they have done this before with the, the Ellerston Global Fund, we felt that that timeline would be drastically reduced. So you were taking less equity market risk with that discount narrowing. As a result, as I said, we continued to buy when opportunities presented. 
And with their half-year results last week, the company announced that the merger is likely to occur in May of this year. So as we suspected, a much shorter timeline, so a lot less equity market risk there. The discounts narrowed further, and we did go substantial back in January. Uh, so we remain a substantial shareholder in the company, uh, and one that we're watching closely uh, if there's any short-term selling that we can take advantage of. The other one that I might touch on is Regal Asian, so sticking with the Asian theme, but not, not on purpose. Um, with Regal um, previously VGI's Asian product, and Phil King was appointed portfolio manager back in June following the merger of, of VGI and Regal. You know, following Phil's appointment of uh, as portfolio manager, we've seen strong performance both at an NTA level and at a total shareholder return. So for the six months, the company returned 24%. Uh, and in that period, the discount narrowed dramatically as well from 19.4% to 8.4%. We have seen that discount widen slightly um, since it's gone ex-dividend in the last couple of days. It's back out to about a 13 14% discount live today. Um, so again, one that we're continuing to watch um, as that discount is, is moving around a little bit at the moment. Is All right. Thanks, Marty. Um, two additional sort of positions we wanted to touch on. One is Pangana Equity Trust, so PE1. That was one that during the period um, we utilised the strong share price performance to actually exit our position. Um, so PE1, private equity trust, during the six months, total shareholder return was 20.9%, including the 3.2 cent distribution that they paid during the period. And as a result, we saw the discount to NTA, what, I guess, closing from 15.4%, and it actually went to a 2.8% premium. Uh, the underlying NTA over the six-month period was actually quite flat, um, and I think we did see a lot of investor demand for alternative assets, and hence the discount closing over that period. But it was one where we were able to utilise that strong share price performance and actually exit and realise the position, um, closing that discount to NTA. Um, another one's one that we've touched on in some of our monthly NTA updates is AMP Capital. So it's one of our top holdings. We continue to think uh, it's undervalued. So AMP's share price during the six months actually increased 37.7%. And that's following the full year results for AMP last year where they were announcing a significant capital management initiatives and capital return of up to $1.1 billion. So we took, took advantage of this strong share price performance during the period and actually trimmed some of our holding. We continue to hold it. Um, obviously, recently in February, they've announced some results which disappointed the market somewhat. They've had a bit of a change in tune in their capital management policy. So it's one we're just watching closely as the discount widens. We, we might sort of look at it further, um, but it's one we're just going to closely watch. But we've enjoyed some, some strong performance on that position to date. Back to you, Jeff. Okay, look, thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, and thanks, Jesse. Now, let, let's pass over to um, Bridget. Um, and, and this is always the the yeah you know, the good part of the meeting. It's it's when it yeah you know, everyone who owns the company well we all own shares in it but um, yeah you know, we're we're here to you know, work for on everyone's behalf is you know, let, let's just you know, hit us with as as many difficult questions as you can or, or challenging ones. <laughs> Thanks, um, Jeff. And, and yeah, and, and we all know 
um, that a number of people have already sent some questions in. Thank you. And we'll start off with those questions, but any additional questions, please send them in. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, we've received plenty of questions so far. So we'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, and if we do run out of time, we'll make sure to contact you after the call. So, Jeff, this first one is for you, and it's from William. He says, the current cash levels are still quite high. Uh, what is preventing you from deploying further cash? Yeah, I mean, a, a good question, William, is... Um Broadly, what our strategy is, is you know, to buy undervalued assets. Uh, and, and really, um, part of that buying of the undervalued assets is there's a degree of timing on that. Um, and sometimes, uh, well, I, I suppose, let me, let me give an example. You know, the, the Magellan Listed Investment Trust, which is you know, one of our, our bigger holdings, now, we have a position in there. Um, you know, we're pretty confident that probably in a, a year and a bit's time, it'll be trading a lot closer to NTA. So when do we utilise the cash? You know, we're currently rolling 90-day you know, bank bills for the bulk of our cash, and we have a little bit of it on deposit, and we're getting... Now, 4.2% on our 90-day bank bills, taking no risk. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of the logic of investing that money is trying to maximise the return and take the minimum amount of risk. Ideally, we'd want to invest the money into that uh, position uh, just before the discount is going to, you know, it's going to move, you know, the share price is going to move significantly and, and that discount will be, will, um, you know, narrow significantly. Uh, yeah, so we, we've been nibbling away at... Uh, and and um, and the interesting thing is the bigger discount has been in the global LICs and we all already have a very uh, a large weighting to the global LICs. Um, and, and some of our... Yeah, so we'd actually like there to be bigger discounts in the domestic listed investment companies. You know, the only ones that are showing big discounts you know, tend to be um, you know, the really small micro-cap ones that you know, have some liquidity problems and, and a number of those we've been nibbling away at. So the uh, you'll see us utilise this cash over time and the cash levels you know, you know, will go up and down. So you know, when, when we think we're pretty close to a catalyst that's going to realise um, a, a good result, then we'll utilise a cash. And, and also, you know, this is a time, um, you know, there's, there's a fair degree of uncertainty. Uh, and, and, you know, in terms of taking a big picture view is, you know, how will the market perform over the next, you know, sort of three to six to 12 months um, you know, I've still got a few, you know, a few reservations in terms of the fact whether we've seen the bottom of the market. You know, to me, you know, there could be some more pain coming. You know, so our logic is: look, let's let's take the lowest risk strategy. You know, we have the cash. Um, let's utilise it when we think we're close to a catalyst. Now, if not, let's sit on the cash and um, and roll you know, TDs or or have it in in yeah you 
in, in cash accounts. Thanks, Jeff. And we'll stay with you. This next question is from Robert. He says, the share price is suffering. IPO shareholders have experienced a significant decline. Uh, what are you and the team doing to recover this? Yeah, the, the um, I mean, everything you've said is, is correct. The, um, and probably um, myself, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in exactly the same category that you are. Uh, you, you know, the, the portfolio has, you know, has, uh, you know, since the IPO has dropped, you know, the NTA, you know, when we IPO'd, you know, the NTA was around that dollar twenty four twenty five level. Um, you know, the NTA is now a dollar fifteen. The um, you know the see through NTA. If you look at the, our positions and the NTA of those listed investment companies, which we believe you know, each of them we've gone into with the belief that at some point in time we'll get out of NTA. You know, sometimes that it, that point in time might be close. You know, a, a number of the positions we've got at the moment, we think. Yeah, you know, that'll be more medium term. So, yeah, assuming that occurs, then the portfolio will be worth, you know, that that dollar twenty five. That'll be that's sort of the the strategy. In, in terms of um, yeah, you know, where the share price is, it is trading at quite a discount to NTA, uh, and uh, and I think that's more a function of yeah, you know, there has been a lot of volatility in the market. Yeah, you know, it is a very specific strategy. You know, it's buying undervalued assets and taking a, you know, for those undervalued assets to be realised, it tends to, t it's a medium term strategy. You know, it's not as if you can't buy, you know, very rarely you buy, occasionally it happens, but very rarely you buy a company and then the next day you know, you're buying, you know, say a, a discount asset play and the next day it, they announce something and, um, and you get out of NTA. Actually, we had that, we were fortunate enough soon after we floated with you know, another Magellan fund, they decided, uh, I think within the first week or two, that they were going to allow people to get out of NTA. Um, so that, but that was only a small part of our portfolio. So, um, you know, we're very confident that our strategy works. Now, what you've got is you've got a, a people that, that are selling at the moment or have sold. They obviously have lost patience with our strategy. And what I've learned over time is patience is incredibly important. Um, we were just talking internally, um, and uh, I think I think there, there was a, a fund manager that was um, that someone was asking about their, you know, about about the volatility of their performance. Uh, and he's you know, it's a, he's a global fund manager, and he said, "Look, watch watch the Bernie Madoff story on Netflix." I can give you consistent returns, um, you know, if effectively if I dock the numbers. But, you know, I mean, we, we have a strategy. We're trying to buy a dollar of assets for 80 cents. You, know, you see the, the ones that we've invested in, we're sitting with 35% cash. The other ones are trading at, at good discounts. You know, we believe those discounts will uh, narrow um, and, and we will keep doing what we've always done. Uh, and it takes time for that to happen. So what will happen is eventually everyone that's, that understands what we're doing is comfortable with it doing, they'll stay as shareholders you know, and, and more ones you know, will we'll find others. You know, and that's where you move from the discount to NTA. That's when 
you know, the people that have, you know, that, that have decided, hey, look, we've run out of patience, they've sold out. Um, you know, and then, then when they then, you know, the, the believers or the ones that are happy with the strategy, they'll keep buying in uh, and, and it'll move to equilibrium. That's NTA. Uh, and then, you know, assuming, you know, we continue to perform and, you know, now we've got a bit of a profit reserve, which is, gives you know, investors a little more confidence in terms of being able to deliver dividends over time. You know, you get to NTA if not a, not a premium. And the underlying portfolio, you know, will perform, um, but it, it just takes a bit of time. So it is disappointing you know, from, you know, personally, and I think everyone involved in it. Uh, yeah, we'd all like it to be trading, you know, at a good premium to where we put the money in, uh, but that's not the case at the moment. But we will get there, I'm confident. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Jesse, this one's from Elise. She says, why was the dividend not two cents per share to match the FY 2022 final dividend? Thanks, Bridget. Look, look, great question. One that sort of we had lots of discussions. Um, the board obviously went through a process on the dividend. But looking at the profits reserve of the company, um, and obviously we're still in the very early days of WAMP Strategic Values establishment, we had to sort of weigh up the sustainability of, of the dividend growth over time. So initially we came out last interim result with one cent. We did two cents at the final. We had around and we've just obviously topped up to 7.3 cents. But if you take away the one and a half cents, we've got 5.8 and assume we could maintain two cents at the full year, then you've got just that 3.8 left. It doesn't leave a huge buffer to sustainably grow and maintain that fully frank dividend, which what is what we're trying to so if you think back to some of our other listed investment vehicles like WAM leaders, um, we did slowly grow that dividend over time. We, we would love to keep growing the dividends. Uh, we would just want to probably see a little bit more growth in that profit reserve. So it was pleasing that we topped up the profit reserve in January. Um, if we can keep topping up that reserve, I think there's never an ideal level for the profit reserve, but you'd want probably that sort of a, at least sort of two, two to three years mark uh, when you, you know it's at a, a good comfortable level. So as we grow that profits reserve, um, hopefully the board can consider that further growth in the fully frank dividend. Great. Thanks, Jesse. And we'll stay with you. Uh, Antonio has asked what your logic is behind being um, invested in Ram Global. Yeah, great. Look, Jeff touched on that just earlier um, in part of the presentation. Obviously, we received WAM Global shares as part of the uh, TGG scheme of arrangement. We were TGG holders. We took the script option uh, versus the cash option. We aren't natural holders of our own listed investment vehicles. Um, and as you can see in some previous other acquisitions, so Wick and Oz Growth, which was taken over by WAM Capital, AEG, which was taken over by WAM Leaders, we did receive shares in Alex and we did we were able to, to dispose of them on market. TGG at the time um, was a bit bigger and we sort of need to look at that closely, but we aren't long-term holders of, of WAM Global. As that discount 20A closes, um, we would obviously love to rotate out of that and into some other opportunities. Fantastic. Thanks, Jesse. Um, now, this one's from Lucy. She says, thank you for your work campaigning against the new franking credits legislation. Can you provide us with an update? Perhaps this one is for Jeff and Jesse. Yeah, and, and just look, thanks, Lucy. And um, the um, yeah, just just 
um, just to sort of set the scene is this is something that we believe is very important and, and important for um, like our shareholders. We've got 130,000 shareholders, 65% of them we think are self-managed super funds. And, um, you know, the, the franking system uh, is important for them. But also the franking system is also incredibly important for the efficient operation of the Australian capital market. So it's a lot bigger. And um, some people, you know, some people are saying, look, we shouldn't be spending time on this, you know, let, spend time on managing the money. Now, um, in terms of who's spending the time, it's, it's myself, you know, the corporate affairs um, Jesse's time, effectively Marty and you know, all, all the other you know, 15 investment professionals that you know, we've got, what, 190 years of experience of investing in the markets, they are looking at and they're not spending time on it. So it's only a very small group. And the reason why we think it's important to spend time on this is, you know, first of all, it is very complex uh, we wrote letters to 227 uh, politicians, the upper, the lower, the House, and, and all our Labor, Greens, um, Independents, Teals, etc. A number of them, have, uh, a lot of them have come back to us and, and we're consistently having meetings explaining what's going on. And, and the, the frustrating thing, I suppose, from our perspective is um, it, it is very complex, and when you read the, the two bits of legislation that have something to do with franking, uh, that it's that you really have to fully understand the the capital markets and how they operate, and the franking system to understand the significant unintended consequences that will occur. The and I'll just quickly take you through the and and each each time we've sat down with the various players. You know, whether whether it's liberal or labor or greens or or, or independents you know, they've actually you know, you know they have they haven't realized the significant consequences of these two little pieces of legislation the first bit of legislation which is to do with capital raisings and paying fully frank dividends it is so broadly written yeah, it's going to be run by the ATO. Literally any company that raises capital and then pays a dividend, um, you know, you, you, the, the, you could, it's very, it'll be impossible for those companies to prove that, that none of that capital was ever used to pay that dividend. Um, you know, so they're all, you know, the whole capital market is vulnerable. Who is it going to impact? It's really going to impact the small growth companies. It won't allow them to pay out fully frank dividends and raise capital and you know, sort of roll it through and then pay a dividend and raise capital. So it's it's really negative for you know, sort of the lifeblood of the Australian economy, small and medium-sized companies, whether listed or unlisted. Um, and, and what it also means is the larger companies that have a lot of you know, fully frank dividends yeah, then they won't necessarily need as much franking because if they if they raise any capital, yeah, then 
then that's associated with paying that dividend, then it, then it sort of nullifies it. So um, you'll tend to find the larger companies will focus on paying less tax in Australia, which isn't good for Australia or Australians, and the smaller companies will be significantly you know, uh, negatively impacted by this legislation. That's that's the first bit of legislation. The second bit of legislation with the buybacks is just it's just a gross overreach by Treasury. Um, that where they the even though they've outlawed off-market buybacks, that if if you're restructuring a company, we we restructured Future Generation investment company years ago, and did an off-market buyback to let all the people that wanted to leave the company to go. Going forward, if we, if we did that again, then we'd be hit with we'd we'd lose even if it was off-market buyback that wasn't franked, but we'd lose an equivalent amount of franking credits. Yeah, it's just it's just it's a crazy bit of legislation, and and you know we consciously haven't bought into the discussion about superannuation um, at the moment in terms of. You know, the you know what's happening you know with the above three million dollars the increase in the tax rate 15 to 30 percent which I'm sure you know, to me I yeah you know, it's interesting why they only went to 30 I thought they'd warmed everyone up to go to their marginal tax rate of of 47 you know if they're on a high income earner of 47 percent I'm not sure why they held back at 30 but at least put that to one side but reading the the legislation, or the details that came out a day later from Treasury, what they're going to be doing is they're actually going to be uh, taxing you on unrealised gains. It's it's like it's like having a house, like an investment property, and every year you've got a market to market, and when it goes up, you know, you'll pay tax on the unrealised gains, knowing and and a lot of people will be investing in equities, know, knowing that the portfolio can go down as well. So to me, that is you know, just just reading the legislation. I, I'm not sure what Treasury is doing, but they seem to be you know, coming out with some you know, some really extreme overreach, overreaching. Um, now, which you know, uh, yeah, obviously all shareholders, yeah, everyone's got to decide where that goes. So, so pretty much that's where we're up to, and we're yeah, you know, we're still speaking to the. Um, yeah, you know, politicians. We think it'll go to a you know, a Senate inquiry, and please anyone who's you know, we'll keep you in the loop on that. But we'll need to send in you know sort of some really detailed um, submissions when the Senate inquiry opens up, and then at least it can get flushed out because it is a complex, very complex um, area. And let's let's hope that the that everyone in the Senate and you know, anyone who's you know, who's uh, has um, crossbench senators in, you know, whether it's down at Canberra with David Pocock or, or others, please write to them um, because, you know, we, we want them, you know, the, the Senate has the opportunity, will have the opportunity to stop this and you know, will have significant negative implications long term for the Australian capital markets. Thanks, Jeff. And you'll definitely be hearing from us soon. Jeffy, uh, Je yeah, Jesse, do you have anything to add to that? No, like nothing more than what Jeff's added. Um, other than yes, like when you do look at the two pieces of legislation, they are incredibly complex. Um, the headlines in terms of what's been communicated thus far by government 
doesn't quite mirror up with the underlying legislation, um, which is where we spent a lot of our time. And obviously, we put in some submissions to the two consultations that Treasury ran on the proposed legislation, um, highlighting some of the areas that really concern us in, in that legislation. And I think the frank distribution and capital raising one um, is so broad reaching that a simple dividend reinvestment plan could be caught as a capital raising under that piece of legislation, which would mean that an entire dividend might not be franked just by offering a dividend reinvestment plan. So uh, there's a, a lot of work to do um, ahead of us, but yeah, we obviously are going to keep fighting uh, to make sure that those legislation changes are, are changed or dropped. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, and Jeff, this one's from Tim. He said, would you consider investing in REITs, considering the big NTA discount that many of the smaller ones are trading at? Yeah, I mean, we, we consider, that's right, we consider all, all, all opportunities, um, REITs, and I think I think there was another question I saw, um, you know, whether we'd look at you know, some of the debt instruments that are listed, um, you know, where, you know, we look at all um, all of those, and I, I know there's another question. You know, because I'm, I'm jumping ahead. There was, you know, but you know, I, I can see the questions coming in as well. Um, there's a question about whether we buy shares in Magellan, you know, being the you know, the management company, not just the you know, listed investment trust. Uh, and the answer is yes. Um, like, would we buy it as an operating business? No. But if it was trading at a, what we believe was a, a good discount to its assets, then we would. Um, do we own any? No. <laughs> it's sort of like AMP. You know, we, we, we initially you know, bought AMP around the current price um, and, and we sold a third, what was it, nearly a, a third of our position when it was around, you know, it had gone up around that dollar. You know, dollar thirty, you know, plus level, um, and and yeah, and and because we, you know, we thought it had a, you know on our numbers about a dollar seventy of assets, um, so yeah, so we will look at operating businesses if they if they trade at a discount asset, you know, what we believe are discount assets. Yep. Great, thanks, Jeff. And what about takeovers? Elizabeth has asked, do you have any plans for any takeovers in the next six months? Well, see, to me, it's it's th this is probably a question for the um, the for the various entities, you know, the various WAM entities. WAM actually, actually, it's funny that WAM, um, you know, WAM strategic is actually. Has thought about one takeover. It's a, it'll be a small one, um, but that was not that was not using shares. It was a cash takeover, and it was just going to be. Yeah, you know, the plan was. Yeah, you know, we just th think there could be an opportunity to, you know, a real opportunity to buy assets very cheaply. Um, so that was that was one. But in terms of, yeah, you know, other entities in the WAM group, um, you know, th there's. There's a couple that sort of have crosses on. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think they will come to fruition in the next uh, six months. Um, you've got to remember the whole, you know, the great thing about the equity market is very dynamic. 
Um, and you could have asked that question about, say, if you asked that question on a WAM capital call about a Mason, you know, will you ever make a takeover bid for a Mason? Now, we could probably say to you, no, we would never would. Now, then a Mason sells its operating business and ends up being uh, pretty much just cash. Now, then we end up making a takeover bid for it. So, like, the tough thing is the market is dynamic and, and, and we're flexible and we're... Uh, entrepreneurial enough to when the opportunities present themselves to move very quickly. Thanks, Jeff. That's great. And Marty, passing to you, this one's from Laurie. He says, why is MFF no longer shown as a top holding? Yeah, thanks, Bridget, and, and thanks for the question. I guess with MFF, I think Jeff touched on MGF earlier, and, and there is a big connect between the two. If you, if you roll back to the start of last calendar year, you know there was obviously a bit of personnel turnover um, with Hamish stepping aside in the business. At that point, Chris McKay stepped back into uh, you know a senior role in in the Magellan business. So he was overseeing both the MFF portfolio at that point, which he'd been solely looking after, and um, to be looking at the broader Magellan business as well. We felt that there was a catalyst at that point for a restructure potentially involving MFF and MGF and or one of their um, closed-ended structures, uh, sorry, open-ended structures, either listed or unlisted. So we felt there was a, a number of catalysts on the table. And roll forward to the second half of the year, you know, again, personnel change at Magellan, a new um, CEO and then sub subsequently CIO came into the business. It was announced that Chris was stepping back. The catalyst for MFF became less clear um, for that discount narrowing. Um, and as Jeff said, we think that there's a, a clearer cap MGF in the next 12 months. So at that point, MFF was trading at a slightly larger discount than, than MGF, sorry, slightly smaller discount um, than MGF. So we used that arbitrage to roll our holding out of MFF into MGF at a larger discount where we think there's a, a clearer near-term catalyst to be able to exit the investment. Great. Thanks, Marty. And back to you, Jeff. This question is from Jonathan. He says, do you expect this equity market volatility to continue? You did touch on this earlier and, you know, you do seem still yeah. a bit bearish. But, yeah, what are your thoughts? I, I better I, I, I better look up the book I'm reading at the moment, which is uh, about um, old. Uh, we're actually <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, actually here it's called it's called the price of peace, and it's uh, for anyone who's bored. <laughs> it's a long book, and it's uh, about um, John Maynard Keynes now. Yeah, uh, to me, you'd think it would be one of the most boring books you've ever read. Um, I, I thought it, it is very interesting because it talks about you know, the early early nineties and um, you know, Maynard Kane. He was with, you know, I think it was a, you know, one of his mates was Leonard Wolf, who married Virginia Wolf, and you know, so to me, they were part of the Bloomsbury set, and, and, and so there was some interesting dynamics socially. Um, around that time, but it does talk to you know, it does you know, talk about 
you know, booms and busts and, you know, various other things. Uh, and, and the reason I sort of say that is um, I, I was talking to a university professor uh, and he, he suggested I read that and we were talking about about a week ago, we are just talking about the market and he said he's he was halfway through it and he said, look, you've got to read it because... I think it'll. I think you'll come to the conclusion. And this is the conclusion I already had. What I can't work out is, you know, we've we've had one of the biggest bull markets we've had. You know, we've had bond markets. Yeah, we had a thirty-year bull market in bonds where interest rates have gone from very high levels to virtually zero. Now interest rates are back up again. Um, yeah, you know, we've got inflation. Inflation's there. Oh, everyone sort of. Yeah, you know, I don't know. review today. They were sort of. There's an article about the net present value of that three million dollars. If you're 25, I think it's it's 1.1 million dollars in today's dollars, or yeah, or something like that. But they used an inflation rate of two and a half percent. Now, yeah, in in the sort of early 90s, you know, I remember sitting down at lunch with Bernie Fraser, who was you know, then you know, head of the Reserve Bank, uh, and um, yeah, you know, he he was. You know, we had a group of fund managers and he asked them all, you know, could they write down on a piece of paper what they thought inflation was going to be in the next uh, 12 months? And I think they all wrote sort of, you know, it was around 6 or 7%. And he asked us to say, you know, what it was each. And then he he um, spent the next, you know, two hours explaining to us why we're all wrong and inflation is going to be lower. Uh, and... and what I realised, what I took away from that lunch is, you know, it's all about expectations. Now, I think a lot of people have, have not lived with inflation. Now, they've had inflation more over the last couple of, you know, over the last year or so, and I think, you know, everyone's accepting inflation. Um, and so, you know, their expectations are, you know, that there will be, there will be inflation. Um and so, therefore, that means that inflation isn't going to go back to two and a half percent. It's going to stay at that five or six percent level. Um, and you know, then interest rates you know, need to be you know, interest rates need to be you know, you know, need to be real. So they need to be above the inflation rate. So that means interest rates are going to be higher. So I, I think we could be in for a yeah, a, a challenging period. I, I just can't believe we've had you know such a strong period, and you know we've had phenomenal liquidity being pumped into the system. Yeah, you know, as we as we had in um, you know with um, you know the money being pumped into the system during COVID, that there's not going to be the, the the worst we get is not even a bear market in Australia in terms of the market not even falling. You know, on average, you know, the index more than twenty percent. So, so yeah, I would keep a, you know, some definitely money in your pocket, um, you know, because maybe things, you know, maybe the market, you know, there's there's debate. Have we seen the bottom of the market? And so, you know, when the economy starts picking up towards the end of the latter part of the year, the market's already anticipating that, um, or will it get worse? And part of me thinks. Now, I'm not sure if this is 30% of me or 40% of me that, that it, it could be tough. And if you, yeah, that's right, if you're having trouble sleeping, you know, get that book, um, you know, The Price of Peace. 
Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and Marty, this one is from Paul. And you touched on Elliston earlier, but Paul is wondering if the strategic reason for investing in Elliston Asia Investments was for the high-franked dividend or was it for a potential takeover interest? Yeah, thanks, Paul. And, and I guess I think I touched on it earlier, but just to clarify, it's probably neither, to be honest. It was just capturing that discount. You know, as we said, Elliston have previously rolled their global LIC into an unlisted trust and provided liquidity at NAV. Um, you know, I think the commentary across the annual report for FY21 and again, FY22 for Elliston was pretty clear that they weren't going to live with a sustained discount and they were going to look at options to provide investors with a, a near-term catalyst. So as, as we felt that that catalyst was getting closer, we've been increasing our investment. Um, you know, it's that catalyst will be upon us in a couple of months. Um, and then, you know, we'll continue to nibble away if the discount presents itself and we can. Yeah, otherwise, we, we get our cash back at NTA um, at the end of May. Um, and then we can recycle that into new discount opportunities and, and start again. Thanks, Marty. And I'll put this question to the team. This is from Michael. Um, he says, are you concerned at all that L1 Capital has such a large franking balance? Yeah, great question. Um, if you actually, like, so if you do do a deep dive into the end report that we have, it's quite interesting that they do have around, not like at the current dividend rate, so they just announced a $0.05 cent interim dividend. So if you, say, annualise that and they're paying $0.10 cents a year, They've got around nine years coverage in their profits reserve at the moment and around seven and a half locked away in franking. That's that sort of 200 mil, circa 200 mil uh, franking balance. So if you currently look at the yield around three and a half percent, five percent, and they're at about a five percent discount at the moment. So logically, the board of directors could push that dividend and capital management policy. Um, that, that dividend based off the profits reserve available. Obviously, they've had some incredible performance recently, which has meant that the profits reserve and, and franking account have been topped up. It's definitely one, I wouldn't say like a concern, but an, an opportunity um, to engage with them and sort of really push that capital management policy given the reserves they're sitting on. Great. Thanks, Jesse. And the next question is from Steve. He says, do you think private valuations have further to fall if they are to match the falls in listed companies? Another good question. Um, it, it's an interesting one. I think, obviously, PE multiples at the listed level had, had come back. The private market is generally a little bit more, I guess, a little bit slower slash sometimes a little bit more resilient. I think talking through a few examples and, and just more from WMA portfolio. So obviously we have WAM alternative assets here at Wilson Asset Management as well. And if you look at some of the underlying private equity investments that we've got holdings in, um, it was quite interesting to see that valuation cycle that we just went through. Yes, some of the, I guess, multiples um, and obviously the inputs like into a DCF and, and things like that for valuations have all become a little bit tougher. Some of those businesses though, and I think we're seeing that in the market as well. Some of their earnings haven't, like they've actually improved during this time. So whilst uh, valuation multiple might have fallen, underlying earnings of these businesses have actually improved during this time. Now, 
come through sort of, I guess, general economy, inflation, the likes, will that pair off over the next six months? It's probably yet to be seen. But we do tend to invest, I know with WMA, in high-quality um, growth companies in that private space. So they are growing at some rapid rates. So even whilst some earnings multiples and, and things like that might be coming back with their listed peers, the underlying earnings strength of those businesses is improving. Um, so it, it is something that's interesting to watch over the next period. There's been a lot of talk recently that there is a, a lot of money sitting on the sidelines with private equity waiting for some valuations to pair back and lots of investors ready to to go in. Um, so it might be an interesting space over the next 12 months. Great. Thanks, Jesse. And Marty, this one might be for you. This is also from Steve. He says, do you hold the Salter Brothers Emerging Companies leak? And if you do, could you talk about the catalyst there? Yeah, of course. And we do. I think it was in our I think it's in our top holdings that, that we announce. It's a relatively small part of the portfolio. It's probably one of the smaller top holdings that we disclose. It'd be less than one percent of the investment portfolio at the moment. For us, it's a you know, a, a listed investment company that provides exposure to you know merging companies in Australia. It is a segment of the market that has been heavily discounted in this current 12-18 month period. You know, that's been compounded with, with Salter Brothers trading at a around about a 30% discount to NTA. So, you know, an attractive entry price at a 30% discount, an area of the market has been undersold. If you take a step back and, and look at Salter Brothers as a listed investment company, it's primarily, it's you know, its investor base is primarily investors that, that um, under the SIV, so the sophisticated investor visa regime so predominantly chinese investors invest in in asia uh, in australia as part of the visa requirements you know they have to have five million in cash 30 percent of that five million has to be invested in emerging companies in australia to to promote the growth of our economy and, and small business you know over the last two years there's been very little visas granted so there's been natural sellers of that lick as they are requirement to hold 3 million uh, or sorry 30% of their 5 million in emerging companies has rolled off and they've, they've been a seller uh, and with no new visas being granted there's no natural buyers under that visa program so really we've got a, a dual catalyst here and um, either visas pick up and, and that's going to probably um, path of least resistance and in, in, in first cases visa applications pick up we see natural buyers coming back into the structure. You know, they're, they're forced buyers, so they're going to buy, uh, push that share price back up, and narrow the discount, and we can exit, realize a profit, and, and move on. Alternatively, if either visas don't pick up, or, you know, when visas do pick up, SB2 and then Solar Brothers aren't at the front of the queue for picking up investments, you know, this discount could potentially get wider, we could pick up a lot more stock um, and and we or, or another agitator uh, could join the register and, and kind of be that catalyst uh, there as well. So um, option A is obviously our preferred method and, and path of least resistance, but you know, we do always have the the ability to, to go down option two. Um, and, you know, if we're picking stock up at, at 30 cents in the dollar, uh, sorry, 70 cents in the dollar, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for us and, and our shareholders. Fantastic. Thanks, Marty. I'll pass back to you now, Jeff. This is a question from Lance. 
He's heard the team say previously that the share register needs to settle before long-term investors may see the benefit um, from the war investment. Has the register settled? Uh, well, yeah, to me it's, to me, uh, maybe we don't use the, the, those exact words, but, but in terms of um, the, you know, the, the, the share register, what, what broadly happens is um, the share price, it's effectively driven by demand and supply. So, yeah, as, as we all sort of learn in economics, when demand and supply are sort of uh, are equal, you know, then that's equilibrium. And for us, equilibrium is, is broadly NTA. So at the moment, you know, the share price is trading at a 13 or 14% discount to NTA. So that means there's more selling than buying. Um, and then, so it just takes time. Um, I, I think this, I think the, it has settled. I actually just haven't checked. What we tend to see is when shareholders' numbers increase, then you tend to find that the discount is narrowing or you're going to a bigger premium. And I haven't checked shareholders' numbers recently. Have we got um, Lance's details? We can we can easily, like it's not as if it's anything price sensitive. We can send you the, you know, the last six months uh, by, well, maybe last year by quarter, the shareholders' numbers. Um, but my, my gut feel would be shareholders' numbers are probably still declining slightly. Um, and what we need is those shareholders' numbers to start increasing. Uh, and then, then you've, you'll end up, you'll find you'll have more buying, so more demand and supply. So then that discount will, you know, evaporate a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it'll slowly get, keep narrowing and narrowing and narrowing until you get to NTA. So it's, um, yeah, and, and what happens is, yeah, it's it's like it's the evolution of various listed investment companies and you, what you find is at various points in time when you raise money, you get new people on that want to come for the ride and then they, you know, the market, you know, the Dow's down 2 or 3%, then they change their mind and change their strategy. So, um, yeah, it just, it just takes time and, uh, you know, the example I, I give a lot of people is WAM Research, which, you know, took a, it's the longest of any of the licks it took us to get it, to trade at NTA. And, and, we, and we, yeah, we continually tell the story so people understand what we're doing and the more they understand what they're doing, then the more they're, they're comfortable with what we're doing or the more they decide to buy and come along for the ride. Um, but WAM Research... Yeah, I was trading at a discount to NTA for probably seven years, uh, and then yeah, it moved. It went to equilibrium. Equilibrium. It went to NTA, and, and now it's and it's probably traded at a premium for the last ten. And it did get up to a premium of forty odd percent a little while ago. I think it's thirty odd percent now. Like its premium is as crazy as the premiums are as crazy as the discounts. In theory, they should be trading around NTA. Uh, and if you can continue to perform, then then a slight premium. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. 
And this next one's from Rob. We'll stay with you for this too. Um, he had asked a question on the share price earlier, um, but he's also asked, um, how does the board justify uh, paying a dividend even though the NTA has declined? And why is there a performance fee despite this decline in NTA? Yeah, the um, well, effectively, there's under performance fee. The the performance fee is any absolute performance. Um, you know, so there's a you know, performance fee with a high watermark. So it's it, it's effectively the portfolio has to go above. Um, the high water mark to get a performance fee, uh, and in terms of the other one, what was the and that was the second part. The first part of the question was um, how does the board justify the paying a dividend? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How does it? You know, how does it pay a dividend? Now, the effectively the movement in the portfolio between on on a year by year basis. Uh, allows you to um, put put money in a profit reserve, uh, and effectively, you know, the board's focus is to um, you know pay out franking when it's you know when it's possible. So that's why the board puts the money in the profit reserve, and you know, we we've talked about a number of the various holdings that we've got. Uh, and they pay fully frank dividends. So, um, you know, we mightn't have made profit and, and therefore paid tax, but we've got um, a reasonable amount of fully frank dividends. And, um, you know, and, and are we, is it better that we keep the franking in the company or is it better that we give the franking out to shareholders and then, you know, if, if they can utilise the franking now, because they have it in their super fund, then it's a benefit to them. And so that's that's broadly what the other decision the board made. Thanks, Jeff. Just, and- you know, just on the performance fee item as well, um, as Jeff mentioned, the high watermark, no performance fee has been paid since inception on WAM strategic value. Um, obviously, the initial high watermarks, the $1.25 IPO price and then plus management fee expenses, each year. Um, so until that's recouped in full, there is no performance fee payable on the fund. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, and we'll actually stay with you, Jesse. This is a question from Andrew. He says, is the NTA discount the real NTA or is it just the NTA discounts of the underlying licks? Yeah, so good question. Um, probably the best way to describe this. So the, the discount we talk about in terms of our share price versus NTA our NTA calculates the value of the assets based on the share price of the underlying companies, not their um, So there is that discount just generally with the WAM strategic value share price versus our NTA, which values the underlying portfolio at their relevant share prices. Obviously, we put that look through NTA in the, port, in the sort of monthly NTA updates as well. So at the end of January, the look through NTA, so if the underlying discounts of all the funds were realised, the actual NTA of war would be $1.29. Um, so then there's that component as well. So that's the, probably just broken into those two components um, when we're talking about the discount. But when we talk about a discount, it's just our actual NTA versus our share price. And, and just on that, the I mean, historically, we just talked about our NTA and that's the share price of the other 
listed investment companies we own shares in or, or operating businesses that, that yeah, because we own them, they're trading at a discount to their assets because if, if they weren't, then we wouldn't own them. So, um, yeah, it's important. And it was only, it was only, I think it was one of these calls where a shareholder said, look, can you tell me, I get that, can you tell me, you know, you, you're invested in other funds and their assets are worth more than the, the share price. You know, can you work it out and tell you that? And so what we did is, you know, we, we said, hey, look, the next monthly NTA will announce, we'll put it in there so everyone can see it. Um, and then we've just, you know, we thought, oh, well, actually, that's probably not a bad idea for people to understand. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We're not, we're not trying to say that's, you know, we're not trying to, we're just giving it to you as, as a bit of information you can use for your analysis. It's not, um, you know, we're not, we're not sort of trying to give you any, you know, you know, steer you in any direction on that. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, and Jesse, uh, you've clarified the fees, but um, just so it's clear for Graham, he's asked, are shareholders, shareholders paying double fees due to WAM strategic values holding in WAM Global? Yeah, great question. Um, no, you're not. So for the management fee calculation, we exclude any cross-holdings that we have at any point in time. So WAM Global obviously is another Wilson Asset Management listed investment company. The value of that investment is excluded from the management fee calculations. Fantastic. Thanks, Jesse. And team, this is a question from Simon and Michael. He says, what is the attraction for Lark Distillery? Can you provide a quick summary? Yeah, the, 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 with Lark, it was really a discount to asset play. You know, the, the, um, it, we've, it's only a, like it's a sort of a micro position. You know, we've just taken a little bit of a, a taste in there. You, you know, you could argue that the, well, it was a company in turmoil. Uh, our CEO left under uh, strange circumstances. Um, you know, we, you know, we think, uh, well, and there has been more, you know, since we just nibbled away a little bit, there has been more volatility since then. Um, you know, we're watching it closely, uh, whether we build it into a bigger position or not. You know, that's still the jury's out, but you could argue... You know, on, on an asset play, you know, you could argue that, you know, the, the, the value of its assets, uh, you know, could be twice, you know, the current share price. So, you know, it could be trading at a 50%, at least a 50% discount to NTA. So that's, you know, occasionally we will have a, you know, take a position in a, um, in operating businesses. You know, we talked about AMP, we, you know, Lark's another one. Um, and, you know, like in theory, I think, I think Magellan, you know, the operating business, you know, the management company, I think their assets are worth, I think, like, last time I looked, I think it was about that $4.50 or $5. So, you know, if they were trading, you know, below that, you know, then, or, you know, if we valued the operating business at um, something, then, you know, that's the type of things we could get involved in as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. And this is a question from Walter. I think this will be one for you, Jeff. What stops WAM strategic value from buying a whole lick at a discount to its NTA and then selling all the holdings at market price? Very good question. And that was when I when I mentioned, yeah, when we had a question earlier, are there any 
takeovers on the horizon. Um, and, and that is one that we've looked at. It would be a small, it's a small one. And, uh, yeah, the, if we did one, that would, that's, that's what we would be doing. And, and we wouldn't be issuing shares. It would be a cash takeover because you know, ideally, well, the one we're looking at would be, I'm just trying to think, yeah, like in theory we'd be bidding about a 20% discount to the assets. So, yeah, that was, there's no, yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. You, know, you, <laughs> you might see it at some point. Thanks, and a question from Sally, and this is for you, Jeff, too. Do you think there's a trend away from leaks um, in the last six months or so as there's been a few leaks transition into ETFs? No, I, I actually don't think there has been a trend away from leaks. The, I mean, the interesting thing is with the, um, you know, with, with the tax changes, the proposed tax changes for people that have more than $3 million in their super fund, uh, and the talk that, well, and Treasury came out and said that you're going to be taxed on your unrealised gain, then effectively licks that have a, like a high yield. So, so you as an investor, you actually won't want big capital gains or volatility in capital gains because you might, you know, you might find you've got three million of assets yeah, you know, say you put it all in one stock and it goes from, say, three dollars to six dollars. So your three million of assets come become six million of, of assets. Happens to be at June thirty. It's unrealised, so the tax office taxes you on that increase, and then and then the next year it goes from six yeah you know, six dollars back to three dollars. So you, your portfolio goes back to three million dollars. Unfortunately, you've paid that tax. They don't then come and give it back to you. Um, you know, so there's, there could be an argument that licks that are giving a good yield, you know, you're getting a fully frank yield, you can utilise the franking as more valuable than licks that have got sort of a higher growth outcome. That's for people that have a lot of money in their super funds. So to me, that's an interesting twist about, about, um, about what's happening. And, and, and getting back to the... What question was I answering, Bridget? Um, are you seeing a trend into sort of leaks? Oh, away from leaks. Yeah, away from leaks. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because of some of them have moved to ETFs. To me, unfortunately, that what you do is in listed investment companies, they all go through cycles. You know, I can go back to you know, 2000 and I think 2002, 2003. I think there was 30 odd leaks listed. Now, within yeah, you know, ten years after that, I think half of them weren't around, because a lot of people that they they set up a listed investment company, they think it's a closed-end pool of capital, they don't communicate with shareholders, um, it trades at a discount, yeah, and then all the shareholders get upset, uh, yeah, they do nothing about it, and then they they give up and they turn into an ETF. Um, See, so like we've got, yeah, you know, we've got. Probably 10, well, 10, 12 people in our sort of shareholder engagement, um, you know, um, investment specialist you know, communication area. Uh, and that, that is a big cost for a business. Um, 
and that's um, yeah, that's to communicate with shareholders, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, the ones that have sort of have rolled out have really been the ones that shouldn't have created listed investment companies in the in the first place. Um, and look, the, the the solid ones continue to grow. Uh, and yeah, to me, it was just yeah, we had we did have a period of sort of probably eight or nine years of a lot of new listed investment companies turning up. Uh, and a lot of them realised the game's a lot harder than they think and they sort of hang up their boots and turn into an ETF or something like that or give the money back and roll on and, and the strong you know, keep getting stronger. So, you know, the sector has a place to play. You know, with these new changes in super, they actually could make some listed investment companies that are paying good, fully high, fully frank yield more attractive than, you know, sort of, growth plays, um, yeah, and it could even make them more attractive than you know, than the sort of the, the managed fund because if your managed fund you know, doesn't pay you much as a fully frank dividend but, again, has a cracking year, so you're mark to market, you're forced to pay tax on on your unrealised gains. You know, so, so to me, the, there could be some, even though these changes initially, you know, like to me, it looks like a gross overreach by Treasury in terms of taxing people on unrealised gains. Um, yeah, the other part uh, to me that's uh, uh, we're not buying into that. Yeah, uh, if, if yeah, you know, if, if um, yeah, you know, I'm surprised that they you know, only increased the tax rate to thirty percent. I thought you know, everyone they were warming everyone up to say it was going to be a marginal rate. Yeah, you know, it could have been forty-seven percent. But yeah, so it could be. Yeah, the the sector's still strong. Um, you know, it's just you know, a few people are departing, but that, that that has very little to do with the sector. And of course, it's not going to grow at the rate of an ETF. Like listed investment companies, one of the beauties of them, they're closed end pools of capital. So that's one of their great, you know, you know, one of the you know, significant positives. So they're not open ended like ETFs. Thanks, Jeff. And this is a question from Dave. He said, if any of the Wilson Asset Management or Future Generation leaks were to evaporate in a black swan event, how independent are the leaks? Would this affect all the leaks in the WAM stable? Geez, that's a big question. We had a <laughs> uh, we 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 haven't done that one. We we all had a a management sort of offsite where we um we. We we role played, and this was you know, with it, with it, with an outside group. They role played us getting hacked, and a lot of a lot of the informa- shareholders' information or the information disappearing. And how would we deal with that? Um, but yeah, the I mean, in theory it should have no impact. Like if one of them disappears, now then you know, all of them have independent boards. They all have you know, management contracts. Um, they all have you know, contracts with the various other um, you know, providers, whether it's the share register, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they all have their own you know, management teams. So they're all independent. So if any any black swan came and ate one of the licks, then you know, the other ones would still be operating. And maybe just on that, Jeff, just on the, the black swan event, I can't off the top of my head think of a black swan event that would impact one of the licks that would take them away. Obviously, all of the assets across the licks are held independently by a custodian 
and all the all the assets are audited twice a year as part of a full year and a half year results. And um, the only way that we would lose one of our legs potentially would be, you know, a takeover or some other event, at, at which point, you know, shareholders would be paid for their shares in the company. So, you know, from a, a loss of capital at a shareholder event, um, other than market exposure and market fluctuations, you know, I think there's very little risk of a black swan event losing value for investors. Great. Thanks, Marty. And we might actually stay with you. Um, can you please provide commentary on when strategic values investment in Carlton Investments? And this is from Elizabeth. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. The Carlton is um, is one of our top holdings. It's um, not one we've been active in at the moment. It's still trading at a you know twenty percent discount to NTA. I, I think one of the the things with Carlton is it is a very concentrated portfolio. You know, event is its number one holding makes up a large part of the portfolio. Uh, internally, through some of the other WAM vehicles, we, we have exposure to that company. So it's a company we're comfortable with. Um, but obviously here we're just invested as a result of the 20% the discount to NTA. Um, you know, hopefully that discount can dissipate naturally over the, the course of a cycle uh, and we can exit that position um, order, in an orderly fashion. Great. Thanks, Marty. And Jeff, a question from Alan. Further to the earlier question on takeovers, is Origin a potential target as it trades uh, more than a dollar below its offer price? Well, uh, yeah, thanks. A, a bit too big for us to take over. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that, that, yeah, that's a play. That's a potential play for us. I mean, there are a few twists in, uh, with the Origin price and, and whether it goes through or not. Yeah, so we haven't actually played that at the moment. I mean, they did reprice it. And there's, you know, depending on the size of your holding, there's a, um, you know, there's, there's, you, you know, you're taking currency risk. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, so at this point in time we haven't played, but but all those takeovers, we look at them all. And if and if there's some, you know, if we think the risk versus reward is in our favour to get a good return over a short period of time, then we'll, we'll participate. But that is one at the moment. Great. Thanks, Jeff. And this is a question from Neil. He said, what is your assessment of AGL's new CEO? And what does WAM strategic value, um, does WAM strategic value have a position there? Yeah, like we, we, we don't have AGL at the moment. We, we have had it from time to time over the last period. We actually, I think the last time we saw it, we only had small positions. Um, I think we, the last time we sold it out at a profit, um, and uh, yeah, and that was oh, a number of months ago. The the new um, CEO probably I think might have been quoted at the time saying like he, he seemed like a a um, what was it like a, it could have been a, a solid you know like a, a, a solid selection or uh, to me it, it probably could have been. It could have been. It would have been interesting if they had someone a little bit more dynamic. I would have thought. Yeah, to me, he, yeah, he might have been the person for the time. Uh, that yeah, still going through a lot of transition, and maybe someone yeah, extremely dynamic might have been put too much pressure on on the company. Um, but to me, solid. Where will they? Yeah, you know, it's it's just a difficult, like it's a difficult road for them, um, and. 
Now, I, I would I would hate to be CEO of AGL. Now, to me, I, I don't know if I'd even want to be on the board. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, and this is another one for you. It's from Dominic. He said, given your concerns about possible changes in the franking system in relation to capital raisings, what is your view of the recent Tribeca Global Natural Resources Placement and Rights issue, which was at a 20% discount? Is this a fund you've considered holding? Uh, yes, yes. The answer is yes, we've considered it. And, and I think I was quoted at the time in the press that I'd be interested to know how the board justifies the capital raising because it wasn't necessarily the rights issue. Um, because, of course, all shareholders get the opportunity to participate in the rights issue. It was actually doing the placement at a discount. Now, it's all right doing a placement at a discount to share price. You know, it's just it's just tougher when you're doing it at a discount to NTA, if it's, if it's any meaningful discount to NTA. Uh, and that was. So effectively, you're taking money from the current lot of shareholders and giving it to the people participating in the placement. Um, and yeah, like to me, we're not a shareholder at this point in time. That doesn't mean, is it still trading around that the issue price, that 210, 211? I just haven't looked today. I haven't looked today, but it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, to me, yeah, it could, like, a, that's a good discount. Yeah, it could be vulnerable, could be vulnerable, not necessarily from us, but it could be for other players. I'm not, I'm not aware of anyone that has built a position in it. Thanks, Jeff. And this next question is from Craig. I'll put it to the team. He says, does war have a holding in thorny opportunities? And if so, do you see it as a catalyst to close the discount to NTA? I'm happy to do that one. Like we've got a bit in thorny opportunities and and you know thorny technology and you know, I think what's technology trading at a thirty percent discount to NTA? Yeah, you know, it's I mean it's quite crazy some of those discounts. Now I know you've got a question. Okay, what are the underlying asset, assets? You know, what are they worth? Now let's let's say there's a slight discount, but geez, that's still a big discount. Um, and yeah, hey, look, I know Alex. Yeah, you know, would we be a catalyst to do that? Um, we really, we're only really only have a very small position in both those. Uh, yeah, you know, he would, I'm sure. Well, he would like them to trade at NTA. Um, and with these things, you know, they, they end up sorting themselves out eventually. Like eventually, they get a NTA, or eventually, the other people give up because shareholders keep complaining that they're trading at discounts. Great. Thanks, Jeff. This next question is from David. He said, have you thought about investing in the Cordish Dixon funds that are trading at a large discount? Yeah, we've looked at them. Yeah, we've looked at them. And it's interesting, the dynamics there. Yeah, I mean, being a sceptic, my view is that, you know, Pengana, which, you know, there was an article leaked if, if <laughs> my view is Penga, yeah, some well, I couldn't say Pengana leaked the article, but maybe they told someone that told someone else to put the article in the paper. So I was surprised how quickly they could come out with their announcement um, in terms of talking about the negotiations they had with um, the company. So to me, it's just another way of you know putting pressure on the company. So you'd think something would 
happen there eventually. I, would, I wouldn't stress out too much. But even though, like, they're trading it, for, well, actually, I would, I would stress out uh, and I'd put pressure on, on the company to do something. Great. And, Marty, this is a question from Agnell. And Jeff just touched on this, but do you think high-fee licks are losing out to low-fee ETFs? Um, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I saw that beta shares reduced their fees yesterday across their um, passive ETFs. And, you know, I think it comes more back to a debate, I think, of, of passive versus active. You know, I think there's been a lot of commentary that passive have performed well over the last period, you know, when there has been positive stimulus and, and monetary policy. I think what we're going to see over the next period and probably what we're most excited about is the volatility and the opportunities that provides. You know, markets aren't going to be linear and there's going to be winners and losers. And I think quality companies are, are going to, and quality licks as well, are going to survive, become stronger and provide returns. And, and there's going to be losers in that as well. So obviously with lower fees, it's usually a, a passive strategy. And they have performed relatively well with index returns, but you know I think as we go forward, you know I definitely think there's a um, for me, active is where you would want to be in a volatile market with a good active manager, and so yeah, not necessarily. I don't think that answers the question. Thanks, Marty, and Jesse and Jeff. This is a question from Jack. His question is. What is the process you go through to verify the NTA of the company being taken over? Have you come across any targets where the company's NTAs are wrong? Yeah, Greg. Jesse, wanted you, Jesse does all the hard work on the. On like, that. Yeah, great question. Like, obviously, um, take sort of some WAM capital, sort of in terms of like WAM's done some acquisitions over the last few years. Depends on the structure of the like of the acquisition. If it's a um, off market takeover bid, which is generally a more hostile approach, we do our own independent assessment. So obviously, there's limited information that we can get on the ASX, but we do a deep dive to make sure that the underlying value and the underlying portfolio stacks up um, to the reported NTAs of the company. Um, sometimes you get some discrepancies from a tax perspective, but it, it's really hard to um, see that until you sort of get under the hood and, and look at underlying calculations. But from a like scheme of arrangement perspective, that's when normally you have a due diligence window um, and you do have an opportunity during that time to review NTAs, check all the detailed calculations, review company records and the likes. Won't name names. There has been a few in the past where the identified some inconsistencies with certain things, which obviously are corrected as part of the process. Uh, but it can happen. Um, sometimes companies take a particular approach. A lot of other listed investment companies sometimes use external administrators and, and everyone does things slightly differently. Um, nothing ever material, though. Nine times out of ten, it, it's very immaterial things that you pick up. Fantastic. Thank you, Jesse. And, Jeff, I think this is the last question um, that we have time for. Um, with the proposed super changes for pensioners with over 3 million, can you explain how the government decides which assets relate to the amount in excess of the 3 million to calculate unrealised CGT payable? Hey, Jesse, I'll leave that to Jesse. Jesse's better with the micro detail. Uh, yeah, 
yet to understand, to be honest. Um, probably need a little bit more detail from Treasury in terms of, I guess, how, how it's going to work. Um, it, it's it's just going to be something that when when they first announced the policy as well, one of my questions was, like, the progressive tax rate, how they're going to determine which assets um, are sort of below or above the $3 million threshold for apportioning income. But yet to be determined, I think there's still got a lot to come out over the coming weeks on, on that particular policy. Fantastic. Thanks, Jesse. And that's all we have. And with that, and with that, don't move too quickly because what I found is uh, in terms of don't try to change your portfolio because when they yeah, you know, when when they initially bought yeah, you know, the Libs bought that cap in, that one point six million dollar cap. I I was in the transition to pension phase and my thought was that they were going to price my all my holdings at cost. So I, I had a big position in WAM Capital. So it was trading at a premium, it was trading at 15% premium NTA. So I sold my whole position. But then when the, uh, a year later when the actual details came in, you you actually that's right, it was it was the last sale price that was the price for the for the you know, pricing of them before before the cap started. So, yeah, I, I shouldn't have moved as quickly as I thought. I think it's a good reminder, like, the all these bits of legislation, franking, super and everything, nothing's been put forward to Parliament yet. So there's still a, a lot of debate, a lot of conversations to be had. Obviously, currently Labor control um, the House, is a whole different ball game. So all these proposals, yes, obviously ahead of the May budget, the government will be looking to implement as much as possible. Um, but it's an incredibly long journey from here to there. So just keep keep watching. We'll keep communicating with people, obviously from the franking side. But there's a lot more information to come out, I imagine, over the coming months. Fantastic. Thank you. And back to you, Jeff, with any closing remarks. Oh, look, yeah, just thank you very much and. You know, we really appreciate like this, you know, we've probably had an hour of questions um, or close to, you know, this is your company. So thank you for you know, being so engaged. You know, normally we sort of allocate half an hour-ish for questions, but, you know, some really good quality and sort of hard-hitting sort of logical questions. If we haven't answered you, you know, to, to the level you're, you know, you're looking for, then please... Um, you know, call or or email us because you know, it is your company, and and the more we can you can understand what we're doing, then you can make your decision whether you want to come along for the ride with us or whether you want to get off the bus. And that's no, and we don't mind either of them. We just want everyone who wants to get off the bus to get off the bus, <laughs> and then so we can get more people on the bus, and then you know, it can be overflowing, and so then it can be trading at NTA if not a premium NTA. So, look, again, thank you very much. Thanks, uh, uh, Bridget. Obviously, you did a fantastic job there on, on the questions. And uh, Marty and Jesse, look, thanks for you know, answering them so uh, candidly and, and, and working with me on, on this, on WAM Strategic Value. And thank you all shareholders for uh, coming along with us for the, for the journey. Thank you.